Well, thank you very much. Well, church, as you are having a seat, if you would, grab a Bible. If you haven't, open up to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. We are continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, where we're looking at as Jesus launches his public ministry, as Jesus launches into what it means to be a people um, in the kingdom of God, he's going to tell us all these profound, amazing, life-changing truths about what it means for us to be in the kingdom of God to be participants in the kingdom of God. And he's touched on in this Sermon on the Mount, we're actually coming to a close here in the next couple of weeks, but he's touched on every aspect of the believer's life in this remarkable sermon, in this amazing sermon. He's touched on every aspect of our lives as believers in this new kingdom. And he began with our perspective on ourselves as he addresses the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Where we look introspectively and we say, do I line up with these? Does my heart line up and match with these characteristics that Jesus is saying should define me as a child in the kingdom of God? And then he gives us our perspective on the world. How we are to view and understand the world in which we live in today. And remember what he teaches us? He says that us as believers in the kingdom of heaven are to be salt and light in the world that we find ourselves in. That we are to be salt, meaning we have flavor and taste of the gospel and of the kingdom. That people would take notice and take note of what we're doing as believers in the kingdom of God. And that we're to be light. That our lives should push back the dark places in the world in which we live in. That we're to be salt and we're to be light. Jesus gives us our perspective on God's word. On the Bible, what does it mean to believe in the Bible? Remember, he says, I have, not come to, um, I have not come to diminish the word of God, but I've come to fulfill everything that it says. He says, not one dot, not one iota will, come, will go away. He says, I've come to fulfill it. It's immutable. The word of God is unchanging. And Jesus says, I've come to fulfill all that was said. He gives our perspective on the moral law, on holiness. And remember, he talks about that we're not just to be outwardly righteous, that we wouldn't just do all the right things, but internally our hearts be corrupted. That yes, we're to live holy, righteous lives, but our hearts should be transformed by the gospel. That the kingdom of God is making inroads into not just our actions, but into our hearts as well. He discusses our religious activity as believers. He talks about our giving. Jesus talked about our praying. He talked about even fasting, right? He talks about our perspective on money and possessions, or he calls it our treasure, the things that we just long for and think that if we just get these things, then everything will be okay. Jesus confronts these issues with a kingdom perspective. And then last week, he talked about our relationships with other people. And that very famous verse that a lot of us know and a lot of non-Christians know, judge not lest you be judged. And it deals with our interactions with each other, right? Right? And he says, tell the truth. 
Don't be judgmental. Don't be overly critical. And he says, check your own life before going to brothers and sisters, before removing the speck out of their eye. Realize, he doesn't say this might be the case. He says, just realize that your state as a human being in the fallen world is that you have a log sticking out of your own face. You don't come into any situation holy and pure and blameless. We're all marred with sin. We all bring judgments to the table. And Jesus says, when you come to each other as brothers and sisters, in the kingdom of heaven, check yourself in your own heart first, laying down all the struggles that you might have, even verbalizing them to the other person and say, hey, before I come to you in this, I want you to know I struggle with the same things, but I see this in you. He says, don't be a hypocrite and think that you are the great judge. And now Jesus moves from our relationships with each other fellow believers, and now he's going to move into our relationship with the Heavenly Father. And if you'll notice, as he's going forward in all of these, he's kind of set the runway for a lot of these, what we should think and feel, internal introspection, and now he's getting into these action-oriented items. This is how we should live. This is how we should live with each other, and now he's going to say, this is how we should live with our Father. This is how we should relate and be in relationship with our heavenly father. Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, Jesus says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? What's Jesus talking about here? Ask, seek, knock. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about our prayer lives, how we are to interact with our heavenly Father. Now, when I was at Dallas Seminary, Years ago, as, as a youth pastor, one of my professors who was teaching on prayer, he asked this question of us to get us thinking about prayer. He says, how many of you, when you pray, you have things that sort of uh, bounce up to the surface of your mind? And he used the analogy of, a, I remember, a fishing lure that bob up to the surface. When you go fishing, you kind of zing your line out, you got the weight in the bottom, and then you've got the bobber that just bounces up to the top of the surface. He says, and he's asking us, he says, how many of you students... As you're praying, as you're going to the Lord, you have these things that just start bouncing up to the surface of your mind. They keep popping up. They keep popping up as you're praying, like a bobber when you go fishing. And the reason they keep popping up is because they're outside of your control to do anything about them. They just keep popping up. They keep bouncing up. He says, unless God intervenes, these things that just keep coming up in the surface of your mind or on the forefront of your mind, they cannot be accomplished without the intervening hand of God. And he says, did any of you have this in your life? As you're praying, does any of you have these things that you're begging God to move in such a way that are outside of your personal ability to get them done outside of the work and movement of God? And he says this to us as students. He said, if you don't have something like that, 
If you don't have something that immediately comes to mind, that you're begging God to move on your behalf or on someone else's behalf, he says, it may be because you have lowered your sight so much as to what a child of God should be that you're simply living a terrestrial existence with no celestial labors or hopes. Those are good but hard words. Let me say that again. He says, if you don't have something that God is just impressing upon you that you're begging him to move, he says, maybe you've lowered your sight so much as to what a child of God is. And you've simply lowered your expectations to living a mere terrestrial existence, meaning just as earthly existence with no celestial or heavenly labors or hopes or prayers or dreams. He told us every Christian should have something a God-sized hope, a God-sized prayer that only he can really do. Church, do we have that? Is there a person you pray for, you beg that God might move in their lives? Is there a ministry that you are called to that you long to serve and you long to see God move in your lifetime, in your midst? Is there a cause, is there a calling that you're wrapped up in that God has called you to beg him that he might move? These are the things that kind of bob up to the surface. That every time you go to the Father, they seem to be there. It's, this is not unlike <clears throat> our own children, right? Um, God has already taught us that we can go to him as a good father, that he's a good father and he wants to give good gifts to his children. He's already referring to us as children. And so I have children and I know that when there are things in my children's lives that they are thinking about, they're asking questions about, or things that they really want, right? Maybe it's at the top of their Christmas list, so does maybe, that they come to me often and ask about those things. They wanna learn more about them. They wanna figure out how they can get this thing. If they can do enough chores that maybe they can afford to buy it, if it's something at the store, if it's something that they don't understand, they're constantly coming to mom and dad wanting to know more about the intricacies of that such thing. They need to, un- they, they're longing for understanding and they're longing to maybe get something. They're longing to have something. Why do they do this? Because they know outside of a good father's intervention, it's outside of their reach and scope to understand or to get. So they come to mom and dad, those who they trust, and they say, help me understand this. Or I wanna know more about this. Or I hope one day maybe I could have this. That's the way children come to us as mom and dad. Because they know that they on their own don't have the means or the methods to get, with what, to get that which they're begging for, that which they're asking for oftentimes. And so they come to us. And as good parents, we long to give them what they ask for, right? Unless it's crazy and ridiculous. Like, oh, you're not getting that, right? Not bubble gum, right? We lead them on the right path. But we long to give them the desires of their hearts as good parents. And so likewise, this is how Jesus is asking us to pray as children longing for the Father to move on their behalf. God, would you move in this way? Do you have anything like that? 
Do you have anything like that? And church, quite frankly, that's why we gather on the first Thursday of every month to gather and pray together. It's not just to do another church event. It's that we would come together and we would lift up these things that are bobbing to the surface that we, with our own abilities, we cannot even move the needle at all. We need the intervention and the hand of God to move. We come into a room together where we have some space and we have needs, we have sickness, we have people we're praying for, we have ministries we're praying for, we have things that we can gather as God's people and come together and turn real simply like we've been doing, Christians have been doing for two thousand years, nothing new, nothing fancy, nothing innovative, nothing neat, no marketing, no fireworks, the simple prayers of God's people begging him to move. That's what a prayer service is, worship and prayer. That's why we do that. We don't do that just to fill a calendar because we think it's neat. We do that because Jesus has called us as his children to go to him. And we said, we need space to do that. And we need to learn what it looks like to do that. And we need to grow in that. Maybe you're sitting in, in here and you're like, well, I don't even have anything that pops to my mind. What a great opportunity to come and sit and beg God that he might give you that. That's what we need. So church, I'm challenging us. I, I, wanna, I want us as a church to take a new step of maturity and commitment to say, Lord, what is it that you're asking me? What is it that you're asking of me? What ministry, what person? And Lord, help make me into a man or woman of prayer as a child fully dependent on the Father. I wanna say make room for this. It's important. Make room to sit and meet and pray for one another. That's important. The church has been doing that for thousands of years Make room to see God move through prayer. I heard it said once that what we are in prayer is who we are as Christians. That's how we talk to the Lord. That's how we commune with him. So church, come and pray. Lay down your busy schedules and make room to meet and commune with the heavenly father, with his people, with the church that we may pray like Jesus has taught us to pray in a couple chapters before, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need that. I need you praying that for me. You need me praying that for you. We need each other. Going to the Father in this way. Every great revival amongst God's people has begun with prayer in church history. Everyone. The prayers of ordinary people begging God to move. And you know what the catalyst for every great revival is? The catalyst is those bobber-like moments, is that when in a generation, a group of people cannot see a way around getting something done outside of the intervening hand of God and people come together and simply beg God to move in their generation for the next generation. Every revival in church history has begun with prayer. And these are, prayer, prayer seems, it's like, yeah, of course, we, we're gonna talk about prayer in church, right? Yeah, 
Jesus talks a lot about prayer. We find ourselves in a time, I'm going off notes here. I won't go too long. I'm going to go on a little soapbox tangent. We find ourselves in a time and place in the world where prayer is seemingly exceedingly more and more meaningless because we have we have an endless supply of information at our fingertips. And so anything we want to learn, know, or discover, we simply grab the $800 computer out of our phone and we speak into it and it says something back to us. And we've come to expect God to operate in such a fashion in our lives. And so when we sit with him, And he doesn't immediately say something back to us and give us what we want to hear. We get frustrated and fed up and we quit. I struggle with this. Um, And so we find ourselves in a tough season that developing a muscle of prayer, the spiritual discipline, the willingness, the desire, the heart to go to our Father, and sometimes when it's slow and sometimes when we don't even maybe feel like we hear him say something back like we sang about, we know that he's still moving because we know that his word is true and we we put our foundation on that. We, we know that Jesus, so we're going to lean in, even though it's not the microwave answer. It's not 30 seconds and it's done. It may be five years and we see some movement, but Lord, that will still be a good day. I feel like we, in my generation, need to learn patience and we need to learn contentment and we need to learn to go to the Father again and again, even when we don't hear him right away, even when he doesn't respond like Siri and give us the quote-unquote right answer in one millisecond. Uh, Church, let's lean into this. Jesus is teaching us what it means to commune with the Father, and this is how he says we're to do it. This is how he said we're to do it. So, we're to be a people that that pray. Charles Spurgeon uh, says this about prayer. I love this quote. If you are a note taker, this is worthy of being written down. He says, prayer is, a thin, is the thin nerve that move the muscles of sovereignty. That's good. I'm gonna say that again. Spurgeon says, prayer is the thin nerve that moves the muscles of sovereignty. Whew. Jesus says we're to be a people who pray. Verse 12, he moves on. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying um, that we should be for one another. If you're operating in the kingdom of God, that you're living out the Beatitudes, you're communing with God, you're longing to be this person in the kingdom of God, your hearts and minds are changed, the way you spend your resources is different, the way we interact with one another is different. He says, now as we're interacting with each other, we should be for one another. This is the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. He's saying it, just, it, it should manifest itself into kindness, being for one another, actually being neighborly, wanting to get to know other people. This involves relationship, right? He says, be for one another, be kind to one another, 
love one another, serve one another, do for other people what you hope and pray they would do for you in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of heaven, because that represents the kingdom. Be kingdom people. Not just people that talk about it, but people that do it. Paul says the whole law is summed up in this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of Christ. One central idea, Paul says, love one another. This is what Jesus is getting at. So you treat them like you'd want to be treated. So if we're going to help people see clearly, remember he's coming off this text about remove the log from your eye, remove the stick back from their eye, make sure you see with a clear eye. He just got done talking about all these things. So if we are going to be a kingdom people who help people see clearly the kingdom of God, who Christ is, how we're going to take the log out of our own eye, take the speck out of others, if we're gonna be a people that prays to the Father that prays for each other, if we're gonna go to people who want to be taught the truth of the scriptures, he says, you need to treat them in a certain way. Be kind. I mean, you can even disagree with people and still be kind. That's sort of a new idea in this day and age. Right? People not only just need to hear a sermon, they need to see a sermon as well. Meaning, Jesus is speaking of integrity here. Let what you say be congruent with what you do. Right? I'm not saying dump speaking the gospel and just be a really nice person. That's never um, ushered someone into the kingdom of heaven. You have to live congruently. You have to speak the truths of the gospel. And you have to live in accordance to with what God has called us to live. Those two together are powerful witnesses to the kingdom of heaven. People take notice of that. Now notice, this whole section is a section on action. Judge not, ask, pray, seek, knock, do unto others. What is Jesus teaching us here? This is ministry. This is the life of the believer, and that's called ministry. This is the action of the people of God in the world in which we live, with the people in which we're doing life with. This is ministry. It's the outworking of God's people toward each other and toward God. Now, this is uh, interesting. This is fascinating. These were some words written about the Apostle Paul from those that knew him. These are not in the Bible, but this is the earliest uh, writings that we have that talk about the character of the Apostle Paul from those who saw him uh, do his ministry, okay? I just find this fascinating. So this isn't like a Bible verse. This is in a book, ancient manuscript that is found. And this is what the earliest eyewitnesses tell us about the Apostle Paul, about his character uh, in a book called The Acts of Paul that was found. It says this. He was a little man with a big, bold head. I like that. His legs were crooked, and his bearing was noble. His eyebrows grew close together, and he had a big nose. Oh, wish probably doesn't want that one in there, but it's in there nonetheless. But catch this. He was a man who breathed friendliness. That's pretty good. 
He was a man who breathed friendliness. The Apostle Paul, the brilliant Apostle Paul, who could defend the apologetics of the kingdom of God in the most uh, adverse places in the world, was a man who breathed friendliness. I think that opened a lot of doors for Paul, for the kingdom of God to advance. Verse 13 and 14 is another action, and it's an action of courage that Jesus is calling us to. Listen to this. These are hard words. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, why is, the, why is the road that is narrow, why does it lead to life, and why is the road to destruction broad and wide? Why is the road to destruction wide? Remember, Jesus is teaching in a day before concrete, before asphalt, before public roads, right? Dirt paths. And why would you have a path that is wide? And why would you have a path that is narrow? A wide path means that it is very, very well traveled. A wide path means that everyone goes that way. There has been many, many feet, many horses, many, many go that way. So the the weeds are, are beat down. The grass is beat down. It's a wide path because there are so many people going that same direction on that same path. It's a broad way. And why does everyone go that way? Why is it a broad path? Why is it a wide path? Because it's easy. It's, it's easy. It's already been, the path has been cut. The trail is set before you. All you have to do is just put one foot in front of the other and just follow all the people in front of you because everyone else is going that way. You just follow along. Um, why do we have narrow paths? What's a narrow path? Why would it be so narrow? Well, it's narrow because not very many people travel on it. Why? Because it's difficult. The narrow path is a hard path. Um, It's hard. It's maybe a climb. Maybe it has switchbacks for a few seasons. Maybe it's full of things that need to be cleared out to get there. It's just, it's, there's, not a, there's not thousands of people just traveling along it, and it's wide and open. It's, it, you're, sometimes you're not sure, is this still the path? It's narrow. I, yes, I think it's this way. It's a hard path because not very many people travel it. Why does the broad path lead to destruction? Well, Jesus says, because it's easy. What does he mean? Well, you don't have to discipline yourself in the things of heaven. You don't have to take reproof from God. Uh, You don't have to confess your sin to God and before men and admit your failings and faults. You don't have to wait for God. You don't have to reconcile with other people. You don't have to admit your own guilt. You don't have to give God glory for anything. You can take all the credit and you can climb the ladder and you can take the trophy yourself. 
You don't have to give. You just have to get and keep. And Jesus, in a prophetic way, says that as you follow the way of the kingdom, you're going to recognize that that's not the way everyone's going. Uh, because it's difficult. Why is it difficult? Why, why can it be hard? Well, because we have to learn to love the holy things, the righteous things, the good things. Jesus talked about it earlier and called them the pearls. Remember? You have to learn to treasure what's really valuable, not just what everyone tells you is valuable. You have to go to people and take their scorn and their ridicule. You have to get on your knees and beg God to do what only he can do, and sometimes he doesn't do it right away. He's not like Siri. You have to be kind to unjust men. You have to stand for the light of the gospel and push back darkness where you see it in our world and shine the light of the gospel of grace that only can come from the hand of God. Is that easy? No. Jesus says it's not. And he also says not many people do that. The Broadway, you just do what you want. You do whatever feels right. You do what's right in your own eyes and everyone follows you because that path is very, very well traveled. Jesus looks at us as God's people in the kingdom of heaven and he says, to be a believer in this world, it's gonna take great courage. It is not easy. And to anyone that tells you it is, is not telling you the truth. But it's good. It's full of light, it's full of love, it's full of grace, it's full of mercy, it's full of seeing darkness be pushed back, it's full of uh, those that are far from God being brought near to God, it's full of rejoicing, it's full of salvation, it's full of what he says, real life. Verse 15, last, last thing we're gonna look at. Jesus gives us a warning here. And he says, church, he says, kingdom people, those that are leaning into these things, those that are traveling the hard way, he says, as you go this narrow way, there are gonna be some voices that are going to beckon you back to the wide path. So be careful, he says this. Verse 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets, those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn, thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruits. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruits, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruits. Every tree that does not bear good fruits, it's cut down and it's thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus says, as you go this way, as you go this narrow way, there will be false voices. In church history, there is a clear stream of pure water, that which is of God from the presence of God. And this is what it has looked like throughout church history. It's an inerrant Bible, 
the true word of God. It is God who is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It is a God who gives his only son to become fully man and fully God. As the son of God dies on the cross, not as an example that we are to live up to, but as our substitute. He stood in our place to the holiness of God and paid the wrath of God. Man now comes because of this good son with nothing in our hands but faith alone through the death of Christ and his resurrection. And by faith, Jesus now, God gives us new eternal life. And we are born again and we are assured into heaven forever where there is no more tears, no more pain, and everlasting glory because of this son of God. That's the pure way. That's the clear stream from the throne of God to that which he has given to us. And Jesus says there are those that are going to come and they're going to preach a different way. They're going to tell you it's going to be accessible and it's going to be gained by a different method. And Jesus says, watch out. He says, stay sharp. Know the truth. Don't eat of this bad fruit. Like Peter says, be on guard. Beware of these false prophets. They claim to be of God, but they're false. They're going to come deny that the Bible is true. They're going to come deny the authority of Scripture. Well, you don't really need to listen to that. That's just one of the clear voices. It's not the only one. Or they're going to deny the sufficiency of it. Yeah, it's really good, but you need something more. You're going to need to listen to this next thing or this thing that I've found out, this thing that I've discovered. So they're going to deny the Bible's true. They're going to deny that it's sufficient. Or they, and they're going to deny its trustworthiness. They're going to deny the biblical ethics. They're going to deny biblical morality. They're going to deny the future judgment. And so Jesus is saying, and I could, we could go on for days and days about this, but it just, he's going to say, be on guard. They're out there. Verse 15, it says, and they're going to be hard to determine at first because they're going to come, Jesus says, in sheep's clothing, but they're wolves. Meaning they look nice, meaning they say the right things, but they're looking to devour the church and his body. So he says, be on guard. As you're traveling this narrow path that few find, there's going to be voices that are going to beckon you over to the wide path and say, you don't really need to live like that. You can just loosen up and let go of this and just sort of travel along this way. Look, everyone else is doing it, and they're fine too. Jesus said, be on guard. And he says, how do we know? How do we know? How do we know there's a wolf among us? If they look the part and they talk the part, he says, look at their life. He just says, watch their life. And in due time, it will show up. So Jesus here in this section is teaching the action of the kingdom of God. Judge not, ask and receive, kindness, love, and keep watch. And he says, this is ministry. And last, last point, he is not teaching the Sermon on the Mount uh, to just pastors. Ministry, a life like this, those in the kingdom of God, those representing God and his kingdom, it's not just, uh, it's not just the path is few because it's only the pastors that raise their hand and will do this and they'll just tell all the other. No, it's for those that call themselves followers in Christ, followers of Christ. He says, this is, ministry is for all people. We are all wrapped up in this. We are all called to this. Every one of us. 
You may work for Exxon or Anadarko or whatever it's called these days or what, you know, some other company. But he says, God in his economy says, you may get your paycheck through this other company, but it's all God's. He just decides where to route it. We're all in ministry. We're all called and caught up in this. This is the call for all of us. So he says, it's time to get to work. It's time to ask. It's time to plead and beg that he might move. It's time to be for one another, love one another. It's time to stand for truth. It's time to watch out and guard the flock because there's gonna be voices that are gonna come in that are gonna tell us to get back on that wide path. But we, as the body of Christ, under the banner of Christ, through the blood of Christ, say no, the narrow path is where life is and we wanna stay there and we wanna help each other walk it well because it's hard and we need each other. That's ministry. Church, do these mark your life? Do these mark your life today? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it, it just reorients us. Thank you that it corrects false narratives. Thank you that it puts to death false ways and gets us back on track of where you have called us. God, I pray for us as a people at Providence North, Lord, that you would, you would help us mature and grow in our prayer life. God, I pray for those out there that, Lord, as we talked earlier, that they just don't have anything that bubbles up to the surface, and that's okay. God, I pray for that person in this room that you might give that to them that you would give them a holy angst that they would go to you and they would say, God, would you give me something to pray for that's outside my own control to make it happen? Lord, that only you can do that. And so I need you to move. God, would you give each of us that? And Lord, I pray that us collectively as a people would be able to tell each other these things, that we might see you move in our generation and that our children might see moms and dads and individuals on their knees begging God to move and do what only he can do. We might set a foundation of faithfulness and prayer and love for one another that we're for one another and we would stand on your truth. Lord, would you do that in our church? Would you do that in my life? Lord, would you give us patience in an instantaneous, instant gratification world in which we live today to help us discern that still small voice that we would go hard after you. Not all these other glittery things that we chase. Church, in the spirit of prayer, would you, as we are continuing to prayer, the posture of prayer, we have a little one in our midst, little Gage Schmitgens. Would you pray for Gage? He is going to Boston for a surgery. Uh, this week. We'll be there for at minimum seven days. Um, it's been a health battle that they've been tracing down for a while now. So I would ask uh, that you would pray for Sarah and Sam and specifically for Gage as he undergoes the surgery. Pray that uh, the Lord would guide the doctor's hands and they would heal him. Pray now for Gage in this procedure.
in the same spirit and posture of prayer. Uh, during this last song, if you have something that is on your heart that you need to be prayed for, that you need, to, that you need lifted up, um, come to the front. I wanna pray with, pray, pray with you. Josh will be up front to pray with you. If there's any on our prayer team that would like to come up to pray for others uh, and know that you can come this morning um, and we can pray to the God who has made you and has formed you and has formed the heavens and earth and he hears you. That's good news. And so, um, Lord Jesus, thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that you're a good father, that you long to give good gifts to your children, that we can come to you we know that you hear us and we know that you intervene for us even when we don't necessarily feel it or know it at the time but you move you are right you are good and you are true and we need you we love you in Jesus name we pray amen let's stand and sing this last song and if you need to be prayed for come forward